podcast finds you well, this is Hope This Helps, episode number 33. Also, happy 2021, by the way. It's been a full month, and we're usually N-1, generally with everything, including months. So we're here, finally talking about 2021 and discussing the one-year anniversary of Hope This Helps, among many other things. Today, our categories include the boot up. Microsoft 365 things dying in 2021. Teams stuff. Remembering the human. State of the Zunion. That is accurate. And the Ask the Stiffs question of the week. Welcome back to Hope This Helps in a new year with new renewed refreshness. And yeah, thanks for clicking. Yeah. No, it's been a long time. Also, happy 2021. Yes. There was something I was coming to say. Oh, did you purposely rhyme the human and Zunian? Did I did I rhyme something there? <laughs> human and Zunian? Does that technically count? Yeah, the way that you... Well, I guess the way that you said it sort of rhymes. I mean, it, it does. Zunian is kind of a word I made up, but it does rhyme, I guess, phonetically. <laughs> I was like, oh, we have Dr. Seuss over here. Yeah. I'm Dr. Seuss on good days, and on bad days, I'm Dr horrible i don't know you're dr horrible do you have a sing-along blog (laughs) i'm like i'm like the the next generation dr horrible if i didn't have a blog and didn't have a song or anything musically about being a doctor do you you have a song not not really not not on tap i don't have songs but we have topics i guess tech topics are those songs we do have tech yeah we could write some songs they would be horribly great yeah. well anyways that's that that's life i guess so maybe we'll have a song about the hope this yeah. helps birthday being one year old yay happy birthday to happy hope birthday this helps. we hope this helps the best <laughs> the best tech podcast out the there. best most consistent tech podcast that is always here and always good and we've been here for a year hey now we haven't. That is huge. I was just telling Steve right before we started that this is um one year of doing something that I'm very um grateful for because I was almost alluding to it being like AA for me. <laughs> like, I, like, do I get my token Hope now? This Helps is like AA in the fact that we exist to hope things help and help others and get others out of massive ruts. Except it's not alcoholism; it's technological alcoholism, I guess. Yeah, technolism, te- technologismism. So, I mean, recently, whatever demons or isms you've got, we're oh. here to help cure what ails you. I'm pretty sure we'd just make it worse, to be perfectly honest. I I think so, but we have fun doing it. That's the point, and that's why we say we hope this helps, yes. as we always do. But yeah, we're one year old. We're 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 still here. We made it. Do you remember a year ago when we made that first episode? Long time ago. We did make it a long time ago. Do you even remember what the first episode was about? I don't, but OneNote does. So looks like a roughly December 4th, 2009, we discussed, wow, I talked about my SCCM home lab, that thing I haven't touched ever since. I don't even know if I still even have it on my computer. And a bunch of, we just talked about general Microsoft 365 things, a couple of Linuxy things, and... It actually is a pretty standard episode, so we we started with a plan, and we've, I guess, had a plan ever since. Yeah, it's like the song that never ends. The podcast that usually never ends. Yeah, (laughs) until we take like three-month breaks, Mm -hmm. but... It's okay, though. 
we're a year old and that's really exciting. So let's continue talking about stuff that people want to listen to, maybe. I agree. So let's go to our content and our boot up and our everything. Everything. Let's talk about in the spirit of tech and content and single panes of glass and information that just blasts you. Let's talk about some dashboards and some dashboards that don't work all that well whatsoever. And I have two prime examples. There are one is in the Exchange Admin Center and one is in the Office 365 Security and Compliance Center. One is the auto-forwarded message report, which is amazing on paper. Gives you all these graphs and fun domains and stuff and everything that would assumedly help you figure out where external forwarding is happening and how to stop it and get a live view of it. But it only tells you the quote-unquote first forward date. It's not really a real-time dashboard, which is really what I want out of a forwarding dashboard, to be honest. Agreed. So, yeah, it's a very limited report. And, Steve, do you mind, like, trying... Uh, try. Do you mind running down into what you were trying to do and what you were trying to achieve and how difficult that was? Did it? Did you ever get the report? We never got the report, and I spent, like... <laughs> I think about a week trying to figure it out via scripting. And we actually met with our TAM and we were trying to figure out, okay, what's the easiest way to do this? And more or less the TAM said Microsoft Graph was pretty much one of the only ways you could get the report that we wanted. We were having some trouble uh, for whatever reason, you know, some of it was our fault, but at the same time we wanted to basically do a quick response on it was figure out what was externally forwarding in our organization. Because if you remember, Microsoft had planned to flip the switch on external forwarding and it was planned, it was announced, but sometimes time just gets away from you and we couldn't exactly keep up with that. And a switch was flipped on us and suddenly we had to act very fast to figure out what is forwarding externally and how do we like, you know, get a handle on what should be and what shouldn't be forwarding externally and set everything that needs to be set. And we're like, well, do we have dashboards? Well, there's two. There's one in the Exchange Admin Center, and there's one in the Office 365 Security and Compliance Center, known as the forwarding report. Neither of which really honestly helped, because the former one, the one in the Exchange Admin Center, the one that was demonstrated at Microsoft Ignite, which I actually went back to the Microsoft Ignite talk to even remember, recall, and find, was one that could only really tell me the first forward date. And I was like, oh, it's like almost perfect, but it wasn't good enough, especially if you're a super, super large tenant with constant external forwarding from God knows who. And then there's the second dashboard hidden in the Security and Compliance Center under Reports and Dashboard Forwarding Report. And this one is also almost great, but not great. If you try to export it, it'll only give you like the first 200 values. I'm just like, Man, like these are so close. They're so almost great. But instead, I'm like, great. So what else can I try to do to get this this report of just what mailboxes in my org are forwarding externally? I can analyze the SMTP value on the mailboxes, you know, saying forwarding SMTP address, forwarding address, delivered to mailbox and forward, all that. But there's also inbox rules that can also be configured to externally forward. So you have to analyze both. And man, if you want to analyze both, you got to do loops inside loops. And if you have a big tenant, that's going to take a while. And not only that, the Exchange Admin Center basically won't let you do that in PowerShell before it times you out. So great. I'm just, you know, we're screwed either either way. Yeah, I've been having difficulties with Microsoft reporting myself lately. I just feel like it's so close to being extremely robust 
and it falls flat every time. So to get into a different sort of similar situation is that recently I had to do a content search. And again, I know this isn't reporting, but it's close enough to rock, for rock and roll for me. Yeah. And I'm trying to pull social security numbers out of exchange online at rest. However, you can pull that from OneDrive and SharePoint, but you can't pull that from Exchange Online. And I'm like, hold on, hold the phone. Because I have recalled like being able to build regular expressions and pull from Exchange 2010. And I'm just like, I miss on-prem so bad because I just feel like what you can do with Graph and PowerShell is so limited due to the size and the amount of data it takes to go over the yes. internet. The, um, yeah, the problem I'm finding is when you move at scale, Microsoft 365 just hasn't cut it for me. And particularly, you know, graph would be great if I could, you know, and some of it's me, I'm sorry, but it's like, I need to get like API keys, I need to register apps in Azure, and have to do all of this just to get data that I used to be able to just get on-prem, on-demand really fast, and I can't seem to do that efficiently. That was what our TAM basically told us we had to go with, was Microsoft Graft or Bust, all the other solutions don't really work. Yet they still offer these dashboards, which only provide maybe like 10% of the data I need. Also, if I want to do iterative loops to actually do the brute force analysis of everybody, even if I let that run for as comically long as that was going to run, Microsoft's PowerShell sessions just say after a while, nope, eh, you're done, you're, you're out, you're disconnected arbitrarily. These solutions are not good enough for me, and a lot of people, granted, may not see these because you may not be a huge org, but if you are a huge org, this is just, you know, just repeatedly just kneecapping you, and it's, I've had enough of it. I agree, and it's, the most frustrating part is knowing that the data is is there and knowing that you can query it but you can't actually touch it it's like putting the candy bar on top of the fridge but you're not tall enough to reach it precisely the solution yeah the solution is there <laughs> and uh, although steve you are tall enough to get the candy bar off the fridge i am yeah, i was gonna say m might be a bad example there i'm six three i can reach a lot of things <laughs> yeah i i'm not getting much out of that situation but you can stack some chairs on top of each other and the problem is these chairs might all fall down well that's exactly what it's like pulling data and <laughs> the chairs constantly just fall down we come up with the best metaphors for office 365 we things. do well considering i'm only five three so you have a whole foot on yeah. me <laughs> one foot can can get you far sometimes it only takes that much right but i just need those dashboards to also provide that extra foot if you know what i mean <laughs> that's what she said uh, anyway yes. you can edit that out i don't think i want to, I to. <laughs> don't. <laughs> we're adults here <laughs> we're still smart it's fine yeah no it's good uh, um, so <laughs> welcome back welcome everyone back to hope this helps a not so serious okay. podcast about dashboards and feet. Uh, and about feet. The feet. Big feet. Anyways, <laughs> I want these dashboards to be better. I want PowerShell to not time out on me when I'm querying large amounts of data for large orgs. And I like the Graph API to be honestly more accessible or, you know, usable for the average person without having to spend so much time to figure out all the keys and all the junk that I... I'm just complaining at this point. I know this this it's standing pedantic at this point. I really should learn graph more, but this is these are the challenges that we run into with stuff like this because you are deceived into thinking that it's really easy with a single pane of glass administration, which is what a lot of places want. 
but I'm given here two dashboards that are bad and then scripting querying methods that are less than ideal. Well, speaking of dashboards, while we're on this, another note is the recently what has come into more light is the Microsoft Analytics on productivity. I don't know if you've seen that recently. Yes, that and actually that was something do I have Speaking of dashboards, I don't know if I saw it on Are we the talking list. about the productivity score? For, yeah. yeah, but it's a dashboard. Speaking of dashboards, yes. So, um, actually, I do, and I and I was going to talk about that actually. So, yeah, the the productivity score and how creepy it is, and how ethically questionable it is, all of that. Yeah, let's talk about that because I really want to blow into that. Yeah. So Microsoft last year, uh, no, twenty nineteen ish, I want to say, released the My Analytics, which basically went into details and I think we talked about it a bit last year also in a couple of our podcasts and it was extremely difficult to turn off and what it does is it basically tracks employees and how much time they're spending doing stuff and during the pandemic Microsoft decided to really jump in and create this dashboard that basically gives administrators an insight into what people are doing more so yeah and I don't and it is like the worst kind of like humans not thinking as humans and humans more thinking as machines. It's like, oh, they're working from home. Let's measure every single second of every inch of what they're doing and like how idle they are or how productive they are. Are they just messaging in the memes team chat all day? Are they actually running Outlook, sending messages, using the services? What are they doing? Are they walking their dog? Are they playing Fortnite? Does it hook into other executables on their computer? Is it using like using like the sound waves of their meetings to analyze the room? You can only imagine what kind of analytics may be going on that I just don't agree with and I don't think is something we should really be striving for as like decent human beings when we're measuring productivity. Because honestly, working from home, it's a different dynamic. I may not be constantly working all the time. I may do it in bursts. I might have strokes of genius in between like a game of solitaire or something. And that's honestly okay because at the end of the day, if I'm still getting my work done on my terms, on my time, that should really be what we want to aim for as opposed to just pointlessly measuring productivity on arbitrary conditions and enumerating that in the dashboard. And granted, Microsoft did walk this back, but they're still collecting this data anonymously at this point. And that's really the only thing they changed as far as I know. Yeah, I think that in concept, it's a good idea to be able to like see the trends and stuff. But again, you can't, <laughs> once it's in the wrong hands, it becomes like a big brother tool. It becomes a, a spying tool, a way to like, especially when you have the leaders who they want to improve and they get a little bit too hungry and then they start pushing people. Yeah, this reminds me of years past where I have been asked by various management of various jobs in the past, not any current ones, but I remember it's like folks, they wanted that really dictatorial control over their mm -hmm. employees. I'm just like, Honestly, what do you take them for? Like, what did you hire them? Like, are, are you having problems with them not doing stuff? And if so, how about you do something called confronting them? I don't know. You right. know, it's that's just my my two cents on that. So I feel doing the productivity score is just as bad. And when you the second you give that dashboard to someone of importance or management and they have that complex, it's going to get really ugly really fast. 
honestly. Right. And I think a lot of it does stem down to you in those situations, it being like a personal thing on the leadership because they they themselves want to strive to be better and they put that pressure on everybody else. So having that score available forefront, they're now like treating everyone else like they would themselves and it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> Microsoft has like um I'm just looking through the blog post now, but it said first we're removing usernames from the product. Fair. But what if your what Good. but what if your team is what if your team is like five people? You know, you could still make an educated guess as to who's doing what. Right, right. You're gonna know who does what, especially when you have um teams who may be a little bit more diverse, you're going to be able to tell who's playing what or doing what. And I don't know. You can also analyze like their patterns. Like you just know that person A is like really good until about noontime and then he has lunch and then he goes comatose for the rest of the day. And you see that in the anonymized reports. You're like, oh, I know that's uh, that's James over there. He's uh, he's doing his thing. I can still figure out his productivity score by his daily habits. But that still doesn't tell you the whole picture because just because he spends four hours working and then six hours not or however long work days are, I don't know anymore, the whole day, um, doesn't mean he's not as productive. It doesn't mean right. he didn't finish what he was supposed to do. Just because he's not in his email and chatting for the rest of the day doesn't mean he's not productive. Exactly. And also there's the off chance of what if maybe he gets hounded by other means? What if like... You should never want this, but what if he's getting like texted by coworkers saying they have a problem, and maybe he's trying to help them out there, but that's outside of the scope of the productivity score because it can't see what's going on on a phone or something. Right. Not running teams or who who knows what. Right. What if he has a side Slack going with with other coworkers? Because yeah. there's no. He's got like a side Discord, or he's using Open Office instead of Microsoft Word. Who you know, and that's not right. measured. Because he doesn't want to be tracked. He doesn't want to be tracked. Who, <laughs> I'm thinking of stuff like this, you know. And now it's like, hmm. Yeah, so Microsoft says, these changes to the product will bolster privacy for end users while still enabling IT professionals to measure and manage their organization's adoption of the productivity apps and services in Microsoft 365. Right, but something can be created for one purpose and then be used for completely the wrong the wrong purpose. And that's what I worry about. Right. And I want to be clear, though, that like the, this data was always, I don't want to say accessible, but this data was always in and existing. It's just now they're advertising like, hey, we made this dashboard that actually like will tell you in real time. Because yeah. no one was ever going to think, well, I mean, I have been also asked to about like installing tracking software on people's machines. And I always was like, this is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I always like to push back on that. I don't think that's worth a lot of time. And it just sows distrust, honestly. Because if they find out that you're mm -hmm. doing that, then I'm going to be very meticulous and careful about everything I do. And it's going to skew what I actually can do because then you're introducing like a cognitive bias. I'm like, I know this tracking software is there. It's going to affect my actual behavior. Right. And people have different ways that they work productive, like productively. And, you know, it's the same thing like when you're looking at a kid who needs special things. Adults are no different. Adults so. are just big kids, remember, as we've all learned. It never changes. So, right. You might need to play solitaire in between, you know, 25 minutes of work or whatever, yeah. you know, to break it up. Because you can't. Yeah, or I might need to like build a house in Minecraft during an all hands webinar because maybe that's how my brain works. I can actually focus better on this thing if I'm actively, you know, using my hands to do something else. 
Well, that's exactly it. Like, I get um, laughed at a lot because I'll have pages and pages of notes. And I'm like, I don't think you understand that if I don't verbatim write down everything that you're saying, I am not paying attention to you. (laughs) And I'm like that, too. And I think I've learned if I've learned anything in from working from home, I think it's it's I have this thing where I'm just like I can focus on something if I can like combine the right use of audio and visual aids. So Mm -hmm. often it's like when you're listening to a podcast. I don't know about you, but like I can't listen to a podcast and focus on it if I'm like browsing the web or doing something that Mm -hmm. visually involved where I have to think about something else. But if I'm driving where I'm not really doing much other than just kind of muscle memory based idle actions, I can focus on it a whole lot more. And I've noticed this translates to things like meetings too. If I do something that's just low effort but keeps me engaged, and then I have like the audio of a meeting or something else, I notice I actually can focus on it a whole lot more. Now, the only thing about that is I might not be able to take notes as easily because it's hard to fight off a creeper in Minecraft and then swap over to OneNote and take notes. Right. But I feel like it retains my brain a lot easier, and then I can write like a memo immediately following the meeting, which is just as good as taking real-time live notes. I am the same way. I recently also caught myself I was having like a face-to-face discussion with someone. They got upset with me because they realized that I had my phone in my hand. And I was like, I'm just literally clicking and opening apps. And they're like, wait, you look like you were texting. And I was like, no, I'm literally just opening and closing things. And they were so, they're like, yeah, but like, that's just rude. And I was like, I don't think you understand. I wasn't listening to anything you were saying until I started doing that. Yeah. Oh my God. You can't imagine how much I hate that when this was maybe more of, it's possible it was more of a physical office problem. I was like, if they say like, put your phones away, close your laptops. I'm like, no, are you going to like gimp my ability to take notes and actually like retain any info from this meeting? Because if it's just me and you face-to-face talking, great. But like at that point, I'm like almost nervous and I'm not going to actually literally retain anything that you're saying to me, even though it's direct face-to-face, no distractions, because that's just how my brain works. I need to write this down. I need it like, right, because I'm focusing so hard on what you're saying that I don't, I'm not actually hearing anything you're saying. So by writing it, it like puts that like space between it or like by typing or putting something in between. It's not that I'm not paying attention to you or Steve. I think maybe we just have some like cognitive learning ability. That... Right. It's it, like cognitive sensory stuff. Yeah. You know the classic example of like there's a schoolyard bully and they like say something to you and you think of a comeback maybe six hours later in the shower. It's <laughs> Yes, and it's so good. And it's good. so good, and it would have just destroyed them at the time. But at the time, you're just frozen face-to-face. It's like that in meetings, too. You know, if you're talking with a manager oh. or it's a heated meeting where you know there's going to be negative connotations or it's going to be something heavy, even if you take notes, even if you're trying just face-to-face with them, your mind just goes blank, and it's hard to get oh, over yeah. that. Oh, it's so it, oh, so true. And it's funny because... In social situations that I can prepare for, I do just fine. But like, if I feel like I'm caught off guard, I'm just like, okay, I need something to click or open or close or something. Something, anything. Yeah, just the the idle engagement, I guess. Or I'm going to run away. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go the other way, yeah. please. Yeah, and it bugs me when, okay, so we'll, uh, we'll bring this back home to the productivity score. So it bugs me then when <laughs> you try to measure based on these metrics that don't account for these things. 
or it's going to be biased towards a management that really wants you to get down to brass tacks and focus and make sure that every cent of every hour you're being paid for is valuable. That just isn't how it works. And working from home has kind of maybe brought that more to light. But then we have Microsoft coming in with a big wrecking ball of the productivity score. And originally, before they got so much backlash, they were going to make it username-based and make that data available. And now they're anonymizing it, but still they're taking all this data like the channel messages, reply messages, post messages, chat messages, urgent messages, meetings organized, meetings participated, ad hoc, scheduled. I'm literally reading off a list of some of the data that the productivity score uh, scores, but this is the kind of stuff that just bothers me, honestly. Right. Like why? So what, you're going to start judging people off of like how many meetings they make or... Yeah, and what if I just make bum meetings? I'm just like, okay, let's let's post memes for an hour, and I'm going to have that scheduled every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Is that considered right. on the productivity if, score as a good thing? Yeah, and what if I just call you every Wednesday just so we can talk? Yeah, or, yeah, the e-water cooler or the or the idle social yeah. hour. <laughs> just, just have a water cooler Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every Wednesday, just invite people to Water Cooler Wednesday. Right, stuff like that. It's it's going. It's it needs to be designed by humans and not by machines and not measured by machines. I honestly think right. like a measure of productivity or like maybe you could go back to being you know to the project manager angle. It's like what do we got? What do we got on the docket? What is who? What's assigned to who? Let's check in and that's more of a good productivity score measure in my opinion. Right, not that's how I would want it done too i'd be okay if it was that kind of tracking right yeah and speaking of tracking um eye tracking another thing i'm not not okay with so in the vein of the productivity score microsoft is um with the surface pro x as their sort of uh pilot program for this i guess using hardware accelerated eye contact for visual meetings using the webcam and apple has experimented this with facetime eye contact as well where they try to edit your eyes to always be like pointed at the camera, even if you're looking down at another monitor or away. And that's just, that's just gross. That's another, you know, the machine, you know, machine-based AI. This is not what it was designed for. And this is not something that should be encouraged to be less about correcting an action like that. And no, if you're looking at something else, I'm looking at something else. Like it's what I'm doing. Don't try to make it something else, you know? Right, because that's just creating a tool that then gives the expectation that people are always going to be looking at you. Right. And like once we, you know, we will get back to the office someday probably. And like imagine then like you see like, oh, I love that you all are always making eye contact and you're attentive and you're focusing. And then when they actually get in the and office, like, oh, like, why are y'all looking at your wait, phones? No one is. Happen the whole time. Yeah, it, it sets it sets the wrong expectations and standards, and it's like unrealistic. Oh yeah, it's not great at all. I could like I understand the purpose behind that, and like wanting to create a more intimate situation or meeting, but it's like, come on, stop doing like. Yeah, it's just not. It's not good. These little things. Yeah, I wanted to link the two of these together: the productivity score and the eye contact thing all of that is bothersome right and if it's like it's like really don't correct my eyes because if i'm not looking at you it's because i don't want to precisely yeah <laughs> so i'm not going to give oh, you the man. falsehood of looking at you because i just don't want to look at you yeah if i want to look at you i'll turn my camera on yeah it's like let me let me and do I'll... what i want to do and be myself 
The answer to right. all this is Don't be yourself. Don't force this on me. Don't let AI be yourself for yourself. I want to be myself. Skynet. Skynet, yeah, it's here. It's measuring productivity and changing eyeballs. What a weird, mm-hmm. what a weird decade okay. we're living in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, Your yes. time. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, Tiff, you know what the worst name is? What is the worst name? Let's take a product that was originally called something logical called To Do or maybe Planner. And let's let's call it Tasks by Planner and To Do. Does that sound good to you? I think Microsoft thought so. Uh, I think that sounds great. It almost sounds like my six-year-old's writing assignment on Friday, which was Create Your Own Sandwich, <laughs> in which he then created... A sandwich that was like taco, pickle, Dorito, yeah. and ice cream. And that's what I feel like Microsoft just did. They were they like, did. hey, make your own sandwich. Make your own M365 product sandwich, and we're going to make that right. production. WTF. Tasks, planner, to do, check boxes. I, I remember using some of this, and now I kind of don't know what it is anymore because- uh, I remember right. I th- I th- you and I used it for a while, and I was like, okay, I think I get this idea, but Microsoft has like deleted, re-added, renamed, and merged it. Now I just don't know what it is. And the name is funny because it's tasks by planner and to-do. It's like planner and to-do met up, had a meeting, and they're like, we're going to call this tasks yeah. by planner and to-do. Like they both need their name on it. Yeah, I think I think the timeline here was Microsoft uh, in this article. Microsoft announced its plans to rename the Planner app within Microsoft Teams to "quote unquote" tasks in April 2020. However, on the back end, if I recall, the raw license value for it was always to do. But then they decided, okay, let's fix this problem. Let's call it tasks by Planner and to do. <laughs> yes, that's too funny. I feel like Microsoft license values, the raw values never match anything. So you're always just constantly guessing. Yeah. Oh, and then another rename that has totally thrown me off is the Dynamics. Oh, yeah. What's that called Microsoft now? Dynamics. Um, it's the Power Power Apps. What is it? Like M365 Dynamics in Power, Power Apps or whatever. So dumb. Ugh. It's hard to find. I get it that Dynamics is technically a power app, but I'm just like, why? Why? Dynamics was fine the way it was. Yeah, it's brand confusion. Stop renaming things or at least make them good renames if they're going to be renames. Just stop moving things. Things were fine the way they were. Yeah. <laughs> change is bad. I liked it the way it was. I know. I I think I'm just getting old. You know, change can be good and change can be productive and change generally is good but the way microsoft does change it really makes the case for it being bad in a lot of these uh naming scenarios for sure well i just don't understand it because it's like this new change is coming and then like a week later sorry we had to revert it and now it has five names yeah it's like oh my god what is happening i mean the xbox is enough of a, a testament to bad naming schemes oh do tell we have the original Xbox, which some called the Xbox One. Then we had the Xbox 360. Mm. And then we had the Xbox One. Then we had the Xbox One S. Then we had the Xbox One X, which actually contains three Xs. Then we have the Xbox <laughs> Series X. And we have the Xbox Series S. I am so glad that I had you go down that rabbit hole. That is amazing. Yeah, so Microsoft definitely has a history of bad names and like a marketing team that is just asleep at the wheel. The day that they announced the Xbox Series X, like sales of the Xbox One X on Amazon apparently soared 
And you don't want, yeah, oh. and, and that's just literally people, confused grandmas l- logging into Amazon wanting to get ahead of the holiday pre-order and get little Timmy a nice new Xbox. It's like, oh, Timmy, I got you the Xbox Series X. No, Grandma, you got me the Xbox One X. This is the slow old one, even though Microsoft touted it as the most powerful console of all time when it was released. So that just confuses everything. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize the naming. Or one, I guess I didn't realize that there were that many Xboxes. I really only thought there were three. I'm not a console gamer by any means. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, the the new thing that Microsoft has. I am not much of a console gamer either, especially not like Microsoft. Like I have an X, I have the original Xbox One back when there was only one Xbox One. Well, right. technically, there was two Xbox Ones. You had the original Xbox, the Xbox One, and then the Xbox One, Xbox it One. Was, so it was Xbox One One? Yeah, the Xbox 11. The Xbox 11. And then they came out with another Xbox One. So we have two Xbox Ones, the Xbox One S. And then we came out with a third Xbox One, the Xbox One X, which contains three Xs, but it's still an Xbox One. So it was Xbox XXX? The Xbox Triple X. Hmm. Yeah, let that marinate in your, your mind for a second or two. Does that go with the extra foot? Yes, Anyways, it does. Um... <laughs> Xbox 12X. One, 12X. Anyway. Okay. Flash is apparently dead. Yes, it, like our, he's dead dead. Like our jokes. Yes. Um... Like our jokes, Adobe Flash is dead, very dead, and they made sure it was dead. And even if you want to keep using it, it is still dead. Wasn't? Apple trying to kill that back in 2009. Yeah, um, I think the story started really in 2007, 2008 with Steve Jobs' thoughts on Flash thing, which I, I've always railed against and thought was a heavily misguided thing because they were trying to position HTML5 and JavaScript as a complete Flash replacement when to this day it is not. It has not replicated like half of what Flash does, honestly. This is going to sound really dumb, but case in point, Homestar Runner. That's just gone. Oh. That was like the, the, the granddaddy of Flash, like the best way to use Flash, like interactive content, videos, games, Easter eggs, clickable items. To this day, I haven't seen anyone attempt any of that in HTML5, and a site like that now is basically just gone aside from like the read-only YouTube archives that they've put up on their channel, but it's not even like maybe half the content that they used to have. Stating that HTML5 and JavaScript are, you know, a complete one-to-one replacement, that's just wrong. And not only that, people used to say that HTML5 JavaScript were also, like, performance positive compared to Flash, which I also disagree. Like, JavaScript in particular is heavy now. Like, that can bring computers to their knees. Well, that's exactly it, is that the newer development they're just like so bloaty flash just worked yeah flash you know as proprietary as it was and the problems that it had it had a place and it was useful it was i didn't like every bit of it and i do agree that its overall death is a positive for a lot of reasons but to say that it had been wholesomely replaced and it wasn't necessary and was useless that's objectively incorrect. So it's kind of bittersweet to see it go away, not to mention all the games and stuff that Flash would provide. But it was important. If you're using VMware vCenter prior to a certain version, the number's escaping me, it might be 7 or 8. I think it's 7. The VMware Flash client is still 
needed for things like Site Recovery Manager, SRM. And if you are still running that now and you updated your computer or you updated Flash, which includes the time bomb, which actually disables Flash, you might be a little bit screwed now or scrambling to try to come up with a plan to either upgrade your vCenter or VMware to the version that doesn't need Flash anymore or you're doing all these hacky registry workarounds to try to get Flash alive again. So what's interesting that on April 29th, 2010, Steve Jobs um, published an open letter called Thoughts on Flash, explaining why Apple would not allow Flash on the iPhone, iPod, Touch, and iPad. He cited the rapid energy consumption, computer crashes, poor performance on mobile devices, abysmal security, lack of touch support, and desire to avoid a third-party layer of software coming between the platform and the developer. He touched on the idea of Flash being open, claiming by almost any definition, Flash is the closed system. Jobs dismissed the idea that the Apple customers are missing out by being sold devices without Flash compatibility, quoting number of statistics concluding Flash is no longer necessary to watch video or consume any kind of web content. So it's, of course, the typical Steve Jobs like uh, hyperbole of like, oh, computer crashes, the slowness, the performance. And I'm like, okay, but if I take a computer, like a period-appropriate computer now and try to load an HTML5 site now with JavaScript, it's going to be just as heavy. If I open up Task Manager, it's going to be comparable heavy loads. So, you know, don't even don't even start with me with the performance angle. And computer crashes, I'm like, was that really a problem? Like, I'd like to see the numbers beyond that, beyond just say honest, computers crash, you know. Right. And honestly, like, as we were about to start our podcast today recording, I think that I have slowness issues with my newer Mac and phone than I did on the older one. Yeah. Well, Big Sur has got problems. I mean, so I I don't have a Mac that's capable of running Big Sur. I have one that I have uh, through various hacks. I've got it up to Catalina and it works. Oh, wow. I mean, it runs Catalina just fine. It was that thing where Apple artificially cut it off for no reason that mm-hmm. made any sense. But if you used a hacked installer, you can install Catalina on a late 2010 11-inch MacBook Air. So I installed it. Mm-hmm. Runs generally fine. But I'm just like, all of these prompts for permissions and all these stupid little things, um, it sort of reminds me of like Windows, the Windows Vista era, not to mention the bugs and stuff that have been reported. I don't use it enough to honestly encounter them, but I've heard a lot of stories that starting with Catalina and magnified with Big Sur, it's just, it's kind of a mess. The Vista era, oh, I haven't gone back in that little land for a long time well it's it's vista era in the sense that it like is asking you for permissions to everything and it's not like coherent about it every other second it needs something you know microsoft figured this out over time and i feel like now apple is retreading this the same path where you're nagging the user to grant all these permissions but it's like actively impacting your productivity so Mm. yeah but that's that was a little side rant on the state of mac os at this point and slowness, uh, well, they're moving off of Intel to Apple Silicon. And I don't know. Which, fun fact, the M1 chip cannot run two monitors. It really can't? I thought it could. So I know it has the USB-C and like fine. some Thunderbolt stuff. I think I did hear something about the daisy chaining not being really a thing on the M1 as yeah, of right now. Yeah, so I guess in the next revision that they're supposed to be fixing that. Hopefully. I mean, we knew there were going to be some regressions. Like the current M1 16-inch MacBook Pro is like missing some of the ports that the Intel-based equivalent has. Oh. Wait, they, so they just took away ports and they weren't going to tell anyone? Oh, they did. They just people weren't too happy to hear that. Yeah, fewer ports and fewer RAMs. 
Rams on um, these new ones. And it was a lot of people were making the case that this first generation of the M1, that the MacBook Air was just overall better because it had nearly the same performance, didn't have a fan. And if you weren't going to get the same ports and same RAM, why bother jumping up to the Pro, which also has a touch bar, which is eh, and, you know, all that stuff. Okay. Looks like support for two external 4K monitors is gone. Oh, yeah. And it looks like in the next revision of it, it will be back. Yeah, they uh, they best bring that back because that's a pro feature that a lot of folks use. Right. So that's not great. No, not great at all. I also heard that it was really buggy. Uh, one, we ordered a couple of them at work and we handed them out to some people. And there are some complaints definitely about not being able to connect to monitors and just some bugginess. And it's also super small. So people felt like it was kind of like just having an iPad and it didn't really feel like a work machine. Oh, is that like the the Air possibly? I mean, I guess probably not the 16 inch. It's probably not the 16 inch. I'm not sure which one it was, but I'll find out for next time. Could be the Air. Who knows? So yeah, that's Max Flash and Apple's whole hyperbole on general things. Max Flash and Apple's? Max Flash. Flash apples. Apples Max Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've for the large part removed Flash from a lot of my systems, except for the VMware ones that still need it because you know vCenter is gonna vCenter until we get off Site Recovery Manager and figure all that out and could get on a version without Flash. Yeah. Which VMware honestly dragged their feet for a while on getting rid of that. They totally did. Most features were in the HTML5 client, but a couple still hung on. But they could have done that a whole lot faster. I remember in training, they were like, "Yeah, it'll it'll be feature complete someday." And I'm like, "Well, at this point, Flash is going to go away by the time this is feature complete." Right. Someday is the keyword. I'm pretty sure JavaScript can just do it all now. Yeah, I'm sure JavaScript will use 400% of all my cores, and you're going to need a room, like a data center room, just to run anything. Well, HTML5 and JavaScript can run one thing, and that might be the new One Outlook app. I hate that thing so much. Are you ready for One Outlook? Uh, not Two Outlook, not no. Three Outlook, not One X Outlook, One Outlook. Is that like one login? Yeah. Xbox. Two login, X- three login. Xbox One Outlook. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there. who knows if this will actually replace the true desktop Outlook and OA Outlook or the uh, UWP mail app. Who knows what this is designed to replace or if it's just a test, but there was a leak online for the One Outlook app from Microsoft, which is based on OA and supposedly may replace the desktop Outlook, which I don't feel that OA has fully supplanted or replaced just yet. Yeah. Uh, I just have one word to say. One note. One note. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You just, you just reminded me. Yeah. One note is a cautionary tale. <laughs> one note. One note is a cautionary tale about making the quote-unquote end-all be-all app that actually is missing like most of the functionality of its better predecessor, and then claiming no, this is the way forward until they suddenly get enough complaints and backlash and problems that they have to revert to the old version. Let OneNote 2016 be a cautionary tale to Microsoft that if you do not do that well, if you do not replicate every single feature exactly as it was in the new version, it will fail and people will let you know about it and you may have to perform an embarrassing regression. Yes, facts. That new OneNote situation was so bad. I gave the new version my best try 
And I remember I was like, there's just some things I can't do or there's some menus that are missing. It was missing everything. Yeah. You couldn't do almost anything in it. And that's how I feel about the new, so the new Mac Outlook app is exactly like that. Adding shared calendars. To me, it's a useless application. I'm just like, give me back my old clunky Outlook Windows client because this is terrible. That's right. You were discussing that in the last episode, how... um... It updated it and kind of screwed you over a little bit. Yeah, because it's just not robust by any means. For an enterprise business or for any like larger scale business, there's functionalities that are baked into the app that really make it worthwhile. Yeah. In my opinion. Yes, and they're there for a reason. It's much how I have similar issues with Desktop Outlook and uh, translations of features don't that don't make it to OA. For example, I used to be an extensive heavy user of Outlook categories, which were the colored tags. Oh, yeah. They let you name things. They let you perform searches and really intelligent queries based on them. I had a to-do and done tagging system with saves and various stuff that had to be followed up that couldn't be represented as flagged items. And that just didn't translate to the mobile apps or OA all that well, or Microsoft forgot about it. Little things like that, if you do not bring all of these features to the new version, I don't consider it superior. I agree. In fact, to this day, I'm still salty. You know, they kind of reopened a, a wound there. I really miss using categories in Outlook. I used to a lot in my old job before Outlook became more of a mobile application. But now it's a liability if I continue to use that because then on my phone, which I'm using Outlook with a whole lot more now, I can't see those categories, and I can't pull up the search folders that I could in Desktop Outlook. And instead, the only system that translates cross-platform are flagged items. And flagged items are just, even those are inconsistent. Because in Desktop Outlook, you can set reminders, you can set them to be complete, which marking them as complete in Desktop Outlook is not the same as marking them complete in the app, which just unflags them. It doesn't leave a green check mark. All this stuff, the devil is in the details here. What I think they were trying to do is have the categories move to like to do, and then they just got really confusing. Oh my God. Yeah. And then don't even get started with, yeah. Oh no, we'll just make another Officer 65 service called To Do Tasks Planner or To Do uh, by Planner whatever. Tasks 1X Series S. X, 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 S, F. W. Spinning it off into a new product, I don't consider that to be a valid solution either because before it was a one-stop shop and now if it's three-stop shop, I'm not happy about that. Right. That's... Ugh. Sorry, I'm, I'm salty about this. I, I remembered all these other failed conversions of things in these quote-unquote remakes of these apps and Outlook is like the crown jewel of a lot of things for a lot of people. I know email is not supposed to be file storage. It's not supposed to be your communication platform. That's supposed to be Teams. But a lot of folks are still using it, and a lot of folks enjoy the features of Outlook, myself included. You start messing with those and get them wrong, there's going to be there's going to be blood on the walls. You you know, I've come to the conclusion that email just works, and that's honestly what I enjoy the most about Outlook and Exchange is that it just works. Is it cumbersome? Is it obnoxious? Is it clunky? Absolutely. But you know what? I don't have to fight with a stupid application or worry about all these dumb features that are baked into it because it just does it all in one place. Right. And all the attempts to kill it, the fact that it remains true to this day, it has value. Google has tried to reinvent it with Inbox. Microsoft tries to do Focus Inbox, but 
at the end of the day, people are still just using it as its original pure purpose. Yeah. At the end of the day, I actually had a discussion with someone the other day. I was, I forget what I was doing, but we were talking about how Outlook just is the best way to organize stuff. And I don't care. Haters hate. You can hate all the way. But like, I was tasked to like basically put all my work into Jira. And when I was going through my Outlook, I'm like, I'm literally just moving tasks from one place to another place. It's all right here in front of me. Why can't I just use this? Yeah. I'm just moving things to other places. Precisely. And if you're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, who cares? It's just wasting time. Exactly. And then when I'm looking at like CRM tools, setting up integrations, I'm like, I'm literally just, again, finding another way to put emails somewhere else. That is all we're accomplishing is moving emails from one place to another. And then that will reflect poorly on your productivity (laughs) score. Exactly. And it's like, come on. Like, oh, a tip today. I noticed that you opened Planner to do tasks, OneNote, Outlook, Power Automate, and all the stuff, but you're not really doing much in all of them. You're just opening them. I think we need to discuss your role in this company and how productive you are. Well, that's exactly <laughs> how I started feeling last week because I'm like, oh, I'm just moving work from email to Jira. Cool. This is great. SSDD. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So, yeah, one more Outlook yeah, we, they should call it one more Outlook. That's right, my original title for this segment. That might be coming if it's not completely trashed or scrapped. Maybe it will be. We'll see. Until then, we got Outlook, OA, and one more Outlook. Outlook 3. Outlook 3, yeah. Outlook 3. So, not Outlook Trace, but many, many vulnerabilities. I'm sorry, I had a better idea for this transition, but it's going to be messy. SolarWinds. Oh, yes. Solar wind. So yeah, since the last time we convened at the Hope This Helps convention, some things have happened with solar winds. Not so great things, some hacky things. And I originally had a big segment that was going to walk this through step by step, including the night that I remembered that the story broke when it was originally just a tweet when there was a really dubious screenshot of a communication saying, solar winds is going to affect the industry in such a massively negative way and there's going to be a major vulnerability disclosure and breach, and it's a situation where you need to shut down solar winds if you don't have it reasonably patched. I remember that night, and I was like, oh my god. And then the next day, bam. It was like, patch your solar winds now and shut it down if you can't. Oh man, yeah. That was something very interesting. And it's so bizarre, too, because for months and months and months, Microsoft kept having these incidents that were like, patch your servers, patch your servers. It was originally the breach of FireEye, and then it, it bled into SolarWinds, and it was known as a supply chain attack. And it's called a supply chain attack because SolarWinds is so ubiquitous and used almost universally across major orgs, government, education, whatnot, that it was considered an item in the supply chain that could be used as maybe a trust vector. And if you just slipstream something into there, you've got a bunch of orgs, and that's your ticket in. And that's precisely what happened. SolarWinds was apparently that vulnerable over years of acquisitions. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of stories that you can look about the acquisitions of various products of SolarWinds over the years. It came down to a point where apparently one of their master passwords to some of their database stuff was SolarWinds123. Oh, Lord. Wow. Oh, wow. And when you have that as the backbone of a lot of organizations, that's scary. 
a series of patches have come out. I think we're on the third patch for at this point. We had 2020.2.1 HF1, HF2, and there is a third patch out now that is taking care of some certificate signing vulnerabilities. And I believe that just came out a couple of weeks ago, and that should be installed as well. But oof, this is big and messy and sloppy and ongoing, and we probably haven't seen an attack on the scale in the tech industry ever. And we might be seeing repercussions of this over the next couple of years at this point. Mm. So yeah, that's... It's very true. Yeah, I think Solorigate was the uh, name of the overall saga fun names really mm, that is a fun name Solorigate. sounds like a character in a video game rpg or something like final fantasy or golden sun <laughs> golden sun remember golden sun on the game boy Gold, yeah golden sun yeah that that should have been what it was called solar winds solar golden sun okay so we're gonna get weird here for a second oh. <laughs> there was a game boy advance game that had a cartridge with special hardware that if you played outside you received special benefits for your character in the game, and the game was affected by it. The game was called Boktai, The Sun is in Your Hand, and it had a solar sensor on the cartridge. And if you played with a Game Boy Advance, you could play outside, and you could receive benefits from the literal sun in your handheld game. Maybe that's what they should have called it. That is brilliant. That is honestly brilliant. (laughs) See, it's useless knowledge like this that floats around in my head that prevents me from actually being a productive human being, and that's why my productivity score is terrible. Right, and this is why we have to have notebooks and notepads, because if we don't, we'll be thinking about things like Bakhtai. Right, but the problem is there's too many OneNotes installed on my computer, so it just confounds the whole situation. And I'm going to send an email to someone complaining about it, but there's too many Outlooks. That's true. (laughs) You have to automate it, because you just need one Outlook and one OneNote. One, 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 one note. Two, well, there's two note installed on my computer right now. Two, two, <laughs> you need the two notes. I have two one drives, so it's two drive. <laughs> two drive. Stop naming things with one in them. <laughs> no, stop. Oh, my God. Please. Oh, man. Stop. Oh, my God. Okay, so what else has happened uh, that was been notable since we last talked oh, wow. about? Um, there was a Fios outage, like, last week. That was fun. Oh, yeah. That was really Some fun. Some fiber line got cut in like New York, New Jersey, and it took out a lot of the internet. That's a good time. Who needs the internet, right? Yeah. I remember it started with us where like, I think random stuff, like we were just getting alerts that various hosted providers were just not reachable. And at first we thought it was us. We're like, what happened? What did we do? And then I got a message from a friend saying, uh, down detector is a blood path right now. And I was like, really? I haven't really seen anything. And then maybe like an hour later, then we started seeing the effects and r slash sysadmin blew up and it was fun times. Sounds fun. Being a sysadmin right now, what an exciting time. Right? It's never a dull moment. There's something going down all the time and half the time you can't even- All the time. You can't do anything about it because it's all in the cloud. You can't do anything about it because we gave up all of our on-premise infrastructure and now we're at the mercy of the cloud. And it doesn't change the fact that if something goes down, you still have the sea levels breathing down your neck. But now you're even more useless because you just go, hey, I can't do anything about it. It's in the cloud. I'm just the, <laughs> I'm just a middle man now. Yeah, and then they go, well, why are, we, why are we hosting this in the cloud if it goes down and you can't do anything about it? What are we paying you for? You're not being productive. Your like, productivity yeah, like, score is why are we, Right. They're like, why are we paying you then? And you're like, oh, because I'm the only one who understands this extremely complex system and can explain it to you in English. Precisely. Because these dashboards don't tell you anything, so I have to pull a Jurassic Park 
hey, this is Unix. I know this. And Yeah. Let me run a big PowerShell query that can change everything. Oh, right. Microsoft doesn't let me. It times out. I'll get back to you in three to seven business days. <laughs> Your ticket is important to us. We will meet our contact SLA by reaching out to you once and then going dark for a week. We hope this helps. HDH. So 2021 IT predictions. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen in this crazy year? We're still in January. We can still make some predictions. What do you think is going to happen? What do I think is going to happen? Picture us in December, and then we're talking about the year in review. Like, what do you think is going to happen this year? I, ooh, this is a good question. This is really quite good. I've been saving them up in yeah. our time away. I truly feel like the industry is headed in a direction to try to really understand the role of infrastructure and DevOps and how they play nicely together. I think at least in what I'm seeing is a trend of disorganization in IT orgs because everyone wants to do everything. And they can do everything because with the way the cloud is set up, you can divvy out roles, but everyone is kind of stepping all over each other. And maybe that's better where you're at, um, but. So it sounds like you're saying we might unsilo and then resilo, maybe shuffle the shuffle I, the cards. I, I don't want to be that person who's like, hey, we're going to go back to silos, but I almost feel like some organization needs to occur, some order. Yeah, I think we've talked about DevOps before and how it's becoming more of a thing and it might scare away some older IT people who lived in GUIs. But it's like, no, um, version-controlled configuration-based CI/CD is kind of the way of the future. Yeah. DevOps, Azure DevOps, all that stuff, because it's just how a lot of places, startups, companies, innovation is just happening. And, you know, with containerization slowly maybe removing VMs with Kubernetes and Docker... You never know. That might that might be the norm. Right. And I'm totally on board with that. And I think that's fantastic. But I think better processes need to be in place and better frameworks of how you scale this out. Because I don't know if this has really been scaled out in in masses. And I do worry that you get the old school infrastructure people who understand IT operations. And now you have DevOps who, um, not always, but typically have you know, a QA or development background, they just want to like push stuff out the door. So they're not really focusing on the operations aspect that if, you know, a line goes out somewhere. So I think it's really going to be the year of merging those two worlds more and getting to understand, because to your point, like as infrastructure people, we have to suck it up and embrace DevOps because it's, it's here to stay. And I do think there's a lot of value to it. Yes, I fully agree with that. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of motion and tension where you have the DevOps folks who have, like you said, the programming and development backgrounds starting to sling all these new products and names. We had a presentation, I think, a while back where even I was like completely like lost. They were naming all these, all these development platforms and stuff. Some I heard of, most I did not. Um, those things like GitLab, Datadog, GitHub... Oh, yeah. TensorFlow, RabbitMQ, I could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And like as a sysadmin, I'm like, I've maybe heard of a couple of these and I don't really know the others because I'm not a developer. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of learning and retooling and maybe a lot of early retirements of a lot of people who can't handle it. But these mergers are right. going to need to happen and oper bleh, operationalization of such actions is going to need to 
be looked at. Exactly. Because you definitely see the expertise needed from both sides when you're talking about these new tools. I am familiar with Datadog and it's a great analytics tool. But when you have talent on both sides of the house, one who can read, you know, what a HA is, you know, what what HA is and how proxies and logins and stuff work. And then you have the DevOps who can build the stuff around that. I really think you're going to have something incredible, but you have to really figure out how to merge and uh, embrace those two sides that have the knowledge. Because again, I'm not a developer, you're not a developer, but yet we have we understand the IT operations and the end-to-end experience, user experience differently than a developer would. And I think you could really increase productivity and increase efficiency if um, you can figure out how to get your organization to really blend those two worlds together in a, in a really um, cohesive way. Yeah. No, I think you nailed it. That's, um, that, that's going to be the, one of the key things in 2021. I think one of the other things in 2021 is I think we're going to look at more hybrid and possibly a reversal of cloud hosting. It's just a hunch of mine. I think things like some of these breaches, these high-profile breaches, not only SolarWinds, but Microsoft and outages and these other negative influences in the cloud is starting to maybe flip some light bulbs on that the cloud may not have been the end-all be-all solution to all of our problems and then if you look at maybe the monetary aspects of it maybe on-prem wasn't so bad or at the very least a hybrid situation might be of value and i hope that that kind of comes around microsoft has mentioned more hybrid than full cloud in recent months and years at the same time they're also doing a couple things like on-premise users can no longer access planner tasks i believe if i remember that was a recent headline Mm -hmm. they're cutting off a lot of stuff but that doesn't mean that you still can't run certain things there are certain applications i think it's going to just get harder and harder to run hybrid but at the same time a lot of these cloud organizations didn't really do their demand planning. Right, yeah. There's. That's not to say there probably haven't been plenty of awful cloud lift and shift operations that have happened. You know, probably maybe many misguided sales-driven convincing of C-levels to just yeet it all into the cloud. What I do worry will happen, though, is that organizations will start building out data centers again and start going back to building their own in-house applications that these providers won't host. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's it's not like... On-prem. I, I think maybe the best analogy for this is just because we invented cars doesn't mean we need to discard all the cars and go back to the horse and buggy. We can still have cars and horses and buggies. They both have value. There's reasons for both, or maybe horses in particular, maybe not so much the buggy, but horses, you know, mm. there's fun. There's fun in that. There's value in that. People bet on horse races all the time. People make money off of horses all the time. But people also make money off of cars because they get you from A to B and they sell right. and all that. So if you can think of the cars as the cloud and the horses as the on-prem, one may be used more than the other, but it doesn't mean that one is completely invalidated by the other. Facts. That is very true. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's 2021. So DevOps, SysOps, and more hybrid. I think those are two very solid predictions that maybe we'll discuss later on, if see if they actually happen or not. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Speaking of 2021 and things dying, 
let's talk about some end of support stuff on the horizon for Microsoft products. Okay. What is what is dying? TLS 1.0 and 1.1 are going away for Exchange Online Mailflow. It's a retread. It's just, hey, it's going to go away. Oh, it is gone, actually. January 11th, 2021. We are past that date. Bye. Uh, Tenant-wide search usage reports from the SharePoint Admin Center. That is gone, January 11th, 2021. I don't remember if you were talking about bemoaning the lack of a usage report, Tiff. I don't think it was this, but it was something sounded similar. I could be wrong. Eh. Oh, Skype for Business Online Connector Retirement, February 2021. Is this this the year? Oh, this is the year. This is the year they're retiring a cloud service, Skype for Business Online. I assume the on-premise Skype for Business will continue to work, but you can't use it with like any modern version of Exchange as far as I know, right? Well, and the connector is going to be dead. So you're not even going to be able to connect it. Yeah, so that's... If you're using Skype for Business Online, you have work to do this year. That's going away February 15th. Well, even if you're using Skype for Business on-premise and you're using an online directory, you're going to have a lot. You're going to have a headache. Oh, excuse me. You won't be able to download it on February 15th. Oh, okay. All right. You so can yeah. use any existing installation of it until July 31st. So just download it quickly. Yeah, get it, stash it somewhere, just like your last Flash installer, and hope you never have to use it. But glad that you have it oh man other things retirement of blah 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 for office win 32 clients oh adol adol my homie yeah um huh oh no you have to set enable adol in office 365 pro plus win 32 clients okay this is just kind of i don't know much about it so i'm not gonna really dwell on it but it looks like something is going funky or going away being changed with that Oh, the Yammer desktop app is going away in 2021. You can't post your yams via the desktop. You're going to have to open up a HTML5 JavaScript compliant browser to browse your Yammer and post your yams instead of a dedicated Win32 application for Yammer. Big sad with that one. Dynamic CRM version 2011 also going away. Skype for Business Online's official retirement is July 31st, 2021. And basic authentication is still set to go away in the second half of 2021 with legacy protocols like EWS, Exchange ActiveSync, IMAP4, POP3, Remote PowerShell, aka the legacy way to connect to Exchange Online without the new REST method. Oh. That's still on the docket to be killed in the second half of 2021. It was supposed to go away last year, but COVID changed that. But yeah, you good there? Yeah, I just I just knocked over my Mac. You sounded like you fell down the stairs. No, my Mac fell off the, the de- little desk in the little office. No, I'm not dead. I was like, wow. <laughs> Hope this helps us take it a dramatic turn in 2021. Yeah, nope, nope, I'm good. I'm alive. Good, I'm good. alive. I good. Just, uh, we like alive. Yeah, nope, sorry about that. BRB. It's okay, I'll just, I, I still have plenty to go in this list that I can rattle out until you compose yourself. IE11 is being officially unsupported, retired in Office 365, Microsoft 365, August 17th, 2021. You'll get errors and scary things if you use IE11. If you use Edge or Firefox or some other supported browser. Retiring Visio Web Access from SharePoint Online I guess you won't be able to access Visio services and the web part for SharePoint Online as of September 30th, 2021. 
your huge, heavy network diagrams will not be visible on there anymore. Oh well. And lastly, some really crusty old stuff like Dynamics AX 2009-2012. 2012R2 going away October 12th, 2021. I don't use Dynamics, I have no comment on this, but if you're using that or your CRM solution, you're going to have to probably upgrade to something else or the newer versions of Dynamics, which are probably more cloud-like. And those are the 2021 Death Watch items for Microsoft. Woohoo! I'm really sorry about that. That was very dramatic. I I knocked over the laptop and then I somehow managed to slice my finger open because I had to pee really bad. And <laughs> so it was a very like Whoa. dramatic few minutes that I disappeared. Jeez, that's uh that's action packed. Yeah, no, I'm alive though. Um, I got a band aid. We're good. I assume you got the band aid and we're peed and we're everything. Yeah, no, we're good. Six year old is fed. Life is good. Nice. That productivity score that. is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, do I get a high productivity score for you, that you, one? You get a really good score for multi-threading, for sure. Yeah, that that was uh, action-packed as well. Okay, all right, so where were anyway, we? Anyway, so I just completed the pretty boring list of things dying in 2021 for Microsoft 365. There was only like three other things when you, uh, when you fell down the stairs. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Next thing, um, Teams native notifications are finally coming soonish. That's a that's a thing. Yay! I still haven't seen it yet. Again, I'm an EDU, so who knows if that will ever come for us in any reasonable time frame. In the months since I continued to use the Teams web app, and I actually had to stop using it in Firefox because I'm tired of all the problems that Microsoft refuses to fix with Teams web app in Firefox. So I'm using it in Edge, and at least it's still supported with calls and screen sharing. And the notifications are using the Edge notifications, which are better than the stupid little pop-up not-native Teams app notifications. But apparently they're going to be moving those to native Windows 10 Action Center in some capacity in the near future. Yay! See, I use a Mac. Nothing works. <laughs> so for you, it'll just continue to not work. But Yeah, exactly. If, you're, if you haven't given up on the Teams desktop app due to how garbage it is in terms of performance and overall cruftiness um i guess good things might be coming at some point so that's the that's the teams update yay teams yay teams what else do we got oh well we hit the productivity score already like i'm pretty sure we beat the horse on that one we did yep that section is already taken care of um state of the zunion we have a interesting update oh so the verge posted a nice little um memorial article about the Zune and about the enthusiast community of the Zune. And it actually sort of reinvigorated the Zune modding community with also special thanks to perhaps a YouTuber known as Dankpods who modifies iPods. And he also did a video on the Zune. But the Zune subreddit has kind of gone up in terms of active users and people who are newly interested in the Zune and revitalizing their old Zunes maybe modding them for even better storage or performance with SSDs, or maybe replacing a ballooned battery here and there. But all this is just really positive for the Zune community. I'm really happy to hear this. And as a active Zune user with two Zunes, a Zune 80 and a Zune HD 32 gig, this just warms me heart. It warms me heart. It warms me heart. Arrgh. So hail to the Zune, the true iPod competitor and the superior mp3 and media player of the 2000s 
that nobody bought because Microsoft didn't quite market it all that well, but still doesn't diminish its quality, and maybe it's getting a second life and a second look now through various avenues. Well, and the iPod was just so cool. It was okay, but, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't my thing. I wasn't into Apple oh, in the 2000s. Y- you weren't hip? Nope. You didn't... I was lame. I preferred him. You wanted the functionality you actually wanted a music player that did yeah i actually wanted a music player that actually like got down to the fundamentals and actually did play music without having to deal with wheels or ballooning batteries or questionable build quality or just wondering if the thing i bought was obsolete the next year and the zoom just hit the spot it also was like the first mp3 player portable device that had just wi-fi and sending songs Sort of the precursor to AirDrop, honestly. That is a good point. And it's also, the Zune HD is the only mobile device that ever got AudioSurf. AudioSurf Tilt. Oh, wow. AudioSurf is an amazing game that just took your MP3 files and made little games out of them. You could go down a highway and you had, it was sort of like Guitar Hero, but it was like a car chase almost. It was really cool. The game is on Steam if you ever want to check it out. What is it called? AudioSurf. Audio I recommend the original Audio Surf over Audio Surf 2 because Audio Surf 2 got kind of weird, but the original one, which was released in like 2006, that game is like perfection. I will have to check it out. I love Steam. It lets you just it just points at your MP3 library and it can just generate tracks based off of those songs. That's really cool. Anyway, so yeah, that's the state of the the Zunion for 2021. Not dead, still here. I uh, realize that the bandaid that I put on is not containing the situation well so yeah, let's, um, <laughs> let's not let's not bleed out during this so no because i want to be able to continue next week so no more bleeding out and because ne- now i realize like everything i've touched <laughs> in this place now looks not great we bleed for so... this podcast let me tell you we bleed for this podcast oh my god okay so yeah with that we'll um <laughs> we'll start to wind down here my god so we'll <laughs> an eventful podcast yeah okay let's move on to our first that is accurate of 2021 you can float on air that is the um that is accurate that is accurate that is accurate did you know that you can buy this weird looking photoshopped air car thing that has been in boys life magazine since the early 90s and it claims it lifts wait boys life what is boys life what? It is a magazine that has existed since like the 40s and it's for it's primarily organized around the Boy Scouts of America. Oh, all right. That makes more sense. It's a real thing. It's not what you think it is. It's not as exciting as no, you probably no, no. thought it was. I was just like, no. <laughs> I actually didn't have her thoughts this time. <laughs> for the first time ever. That's amazing. I know. So yeah, the air car supposedly lifts 200 pounds. Quote unquote, it really works. And um, you can build it yourself using a vacuum motor. Who knew that we could solve all of our fossil fuel and climate change problems by just building floating air cars based off of vacuum motors? Why isn't this a thing? You can order it from a nice little not-so-shady-looking website known as canosaurus.com, which looks like it was built in 1995, and I'm sure it functions. Canosaurus. Canosaurus. I'm I'm going space-age fun. The air car is not one of Doug M's inventions. His good friend Dave Ross, a professional photographer and non-professional tinkerer, is the inventor slash builder slash original test pilot of the air car. I've searched the internet for this guy, and I found basically no info other than just this website. 
and I found one YouTube video that seemingly had an unrelated project that was pitched on Shark Tank for what was called, quote-unquote, the AirPod, which was a similar car design, but it was basically by a different guy, and by all intents and purposes, same idea, different implementation, but there's basically been little to no info on that other than just a couple of YouTube videos. I don't know if it ever went anywhere, but that is accurate. You can float on air with this air car. You can build from this website where you have to apparently purchase the build instructions for some reason. Huh. It's capable of floating a 200-pound adult. Yeah, I bet maybe like a half inch off the ground, maybe. Yeah. Have you? Can you imagine a vacuum motor trying to lift anything up? I, I kind of want one of these. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember because when I was at the library, I would go through some of these magazines. I would see these little ads for these. And I thought it was the coolest thing because as a kid, I thought it was like legit. I was like, wow, it's that easy just to build an air car? Why would I ever want a real car? I want an air car. How do you buy this? I never ended up getting one. And now it's just. Yeah, you just buy the plans for like $30. I should. 30 bucks for literally just the source code for building this. The cost of a used vacuum cleaner motor. Wow. <laughs> like you could just like get an old like Dyson or something off of Craigslist. And yeah. Just like go to town. I know. That's unbelievable. Who knew? So that is accurate. You can float on air. Just order the air car from this shady website that doesn't apparently even use like SSL or any form of TLS. Just send your info to this guy and maybe he'll get back to you. Maybe. Maybe. If he's not dead, he might be dead. We don't know. It's Apparently this ad has been dangling around magazines and the internet for a while. You know, I can't find any info on him, so maybe he's dead. I don't know. But his website's still up. Oh, I mean, do you think, like, there's still, like, in Boy's Life magazine? Like, they still advertise it? Possibly. I haven't seen a Boy's Life huh. magazine from anywhere, like, greater than the 1990s, so I don't know. But it was something I saw recently, and it r triggered my memory on it, and I went back and found it, and I was happy to see the website still up. So... Uh, do we want to do the question of the week this week, or do we care? Um, I'm, I don't care. Okay. Well, eh, real quick. What is the current hot tech you would like to learn as a sysadmin? Didn't we kind of already uh, more or less go over this? Yeah, we kind of did. But I really, like, I'm intrigued by Kubernetes. Like, I... Ooh, yeah. I want to know more. I feel like it's complex, and no one really understands it, which makes me want to know everything about it. I know it's like something like startups use a lot and a lot of newer orgs with less baggage use. And it interests yeah. me. And it's sort of like Google's version of Docker or like their containerization. And it like, quote unquote, scales well What for whatever that's worth. Yeah. It's like the security around like a container. And Azure has an AKS, Azure Kubernetes services. and Yeah. And it just like has a cool name. Like people call it Kubes, and I'm just like, that sounds really cool. Kubes, yeah, and like the command line, Kubes. the command line's called kubectl, kube control. Yeah, Kubes, and I'm just like, I want to be a Kuber. Yeah, like last year I learned Docker and a lot of Raspberry Pi and stuff like that, and maybe Kubernetes might be a nice little fun new project for me. We, yeah, we should do a Kubernetes thing. We should make like a Kubernetes lab. Yeah. So maybe learn learn the cubes. Learn the cubes says the current hot tech of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So I think we've uh, survived with literal blood to the end of our yes. first episode of 2021. I hope this helps. To a new year. To a new year and not dying and not falling down the stairs. I didn't fall down the stairs. My laptop fell. It's so sad. I know, but 
It makes a it makes a good story. It's all about the stories. It does make a good story. I'll go with your story then. I fell down the stairs. I'm sorry. Awesome. All right. (laughs) Well, anyways, hope this helps as a podcast. We record sometimes when we feel like it. We talk about tech. We're here. We have Twitter. We have a website, hthpc.com. Subscribe to us if you want occasional content and things. We promise we're not dead unless we announce that we're dead, which would be kind of creepy, but we we usually like to tie ends together. It's true. I know Tiff, you you had a session with Adam Fowler and a couple of MS MVPs, I think back in December. Yes, it was uh it was keeping up with Microsoft and you can find that on oh, I'll add a link to the notes because it was part of the Adelaide group, the users group with them. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think we also retweeted it under our Twitter as well. Yes. We can find it under there too. I watched it. It was good. I would like to jump in on one of those next time if they do one. Yeah. I can definitely, He. Um. I will let him know. Definitely a good group of people. Because I remember watching it. I think you said, Steve is sleeping right now. I'm like, I could have been awake. <laughs> next day, he's like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Yeah. yeah. So I will definitely coordinate something with Adam to have you jump in Perfect. next time as well. All right. That would be fun. Cool. So, yeah, maybe we'll do that. Um, Both Tiff and I applied to be speaker moderators for the Microsoft Ignite Part 2 for March, and maybe we'll get in. Maybe we won't. We'll see if we get replies. I put in to do maybe PowerShell talky things, not really anything specific other than just some random cool things that I do. I did Modern Workplace. I figure that's really what I've been working on a lot more recently. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, The more I started overthinking about it, I was like, wait, I do a lot of communication stuff, so let's just stick with what I know. Yeah, that sounds absolutely perfect. So yeah, that's, um, that's what we're working on coming up. Check out our past content for 2020 and one episode from 2019. Here's to a new year. We're we're off to a good start for Hope This Helps. Hopefully we will not be injured anymore for the next time we record. Watch our right. watch our Twitter space for info. We also have individual Twitters for when we tweet the tweets and yam the yams. Yam the yams. I love yamming the yams. Unless you have anything to add, I think we can probably close the book on this episode. No, I am good. All right, folks. So until next time, we hope... This helps. Hope this helps. Bye. Bye.